Hello and welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. This is season two of TMX Group's series of discussions with business leaders from across the capital markets landscape, featuring some of the key figures, influential decision makers and visionary entrepreneurs, shaping the future of industry here in Canada and around the world. My name is Shane Quinn. I'm vice president of corporate communications and brand reputation here at TMX Group. And I'm pleased to host today's special episode a one-on-one discussion with Luke Bertrand, the new chair of the TMX Group Board of Directors. Luke is the third chair in TMX's history as a public company, and while he's new to the role, he's far from a rookie. Luke has been a TMX board member for more than a decade. He helped lead the charge in the Maple transaction, a successful bid by a homegrown consortium of banks and pension funds to counter the proposed merger between TMX and the London Stock Exchange. Mr. Bertrand has held senior leadership positions at some of Canada's most iconic and world-renowned franchises, including National Bank, where he served as vice chairman for 12 years, and his hometown's most venerable of all institutions, the Montreal Canadiens. He knows Canada's markets from the ground up, from his early days in the brokerage industry to his various leadership roles for what seems like every exchange platform in the country's history. Luke also knows the roots of what is now TMX from a unique perspective, as a competitor and a founder. He was chairman and CEO of the Montreal Exchange and played an integral role in the 2008 combination of MX and Toronto Stock Exchange to form what is now known as TMX. Most simply put, Luke is uniquely and exquisitely qualified for his current role as TMX Group Chair, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome him to TMX Presents, the podcast, for a conversation. Hello, Luke, and welcome to TMX Presents. Good afternoon, Shane. Thanks for taking part today and for sharing your perspectives with our audience. Thank you. Let me start by congratulating you on your recent election as chair. You have had an extremely interesting career, to say the least. You've played a leading role in the evolution of Canada's capital markets industry, helping to shape transformational changes like the market realignment in 1999 and the Maple transaction 11 years ago. But I would like to start our conversation with a quick look back, at least sort of quick, a little further. How did you get your start in the business? Well, in the brokerage industry was my introduction to the capital markets business in Canada. I started with a company called F.H. Deacon Hodgson. That was back in 1979. In those days, Shane, you may remember, there were a lot of independent brokerage firms. And it was a very solid brokerage firm, I think second or third generation firm. Great place to start in the brokerage industry. And I went from F.H. Deacon Hodgson to then another company called McDougal, McDougal, McTeer, where I got into institutional sales. And there on, my career continued in the uh, in the industry. Wow. It's a really interesting point to start with the independent brokerage industry story. You know, that is the roots of Canada's markets. And certainly the landscape has changed a great deal since those times. But in that formative years, we really saw how Canada's unique ability to support the growth and success of the young, smaller firms, companies across industries with a specialty in natural resources. That's really the foundation of Canada's markets as we know them today. And while certainly a lot has changed in the landscape, that really is a foundational aspect of our markets that still remains true today. In 1999, Canada's markets consolidated and specialized. I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. You did say 1979, so the pace of change 
starts to quicken as we get closer to the end of the century. So in 1999, Canada's markets consolidated and specialized from a number of regional exchanges across the country to a centralized and distinct model that more or less exists today. Known as the market realignment, Toronto was established as the nation's senior equities market, Montreal as the center for derivatives, and the Alberta and Vancouver junior markets merged to become the newly created CDNX, which is now known as TSX Venture Exchange. Can you take us through a little of the behind the scenes into some of the thinking behind the decision to redraw the lines for Canada's markets? And maybe a little bit about how it was received by Montreal Exchange stakeholders, including members and participants. Unquestionably, it was a, an interesting time in the uh, capital markets, not only here in Canada, but throughout the world. There was a lot of development going on. For a few of us at the time, and my role then was, I was chair of the uh, Montreal Exchange. I, I was asked to join the board in 1992, and in 1998, I became chair. And then through the course of that year, we undertook conversations, the TSX board, also the Vancouver and the Alberta stock exchanges. And the plan was very simple. Let's specialize markets in Canada and we'll specialize along the lines of where they right now are the most advanced or specialized in their respective fields. And the conclusion of that was that in the end, CDNX was created, which was a combination of the Alberta and the Vancouver stock exchanges. I think it was very critical in this plan to maintain Canada's position in the venture markets. And that was, we thought correctly, that that would be the, the right thing to do, was to combine the forces of those two exchanges into one exchange. Then, of course, the TSX was the dominant equity, senior equity market in the country. Only made sense for the TSX and Toronto to be the headquarters of that capital formation and trading of those equities. And the final leg to that transaction with that arrangement was for the Montreal Exchange, which had somewhat taken a lead in the derivatives business in Canada, the exchange-traded business, not only equity options, but in financial futures. And financial futures were still in their infancy. The Chicago Mercantile, the Chicago Board of Trade, they were all developing very rapidly, but still on a relative basis in comparison to other aspects of the capital markets, they were still businesses that were starting to develop. And essentially, they were taking away to what was normally done in the over-counter markets and creating exchange-traded products that have a lot of benefits, of course. So the MX was developing very rapidly into that space. Therefore, the decision was made by the group, by the four exchanges, to agree on a, a specialization plan uh, along the lines I just described. And there was a step further to that, which still exists today, which was we urged the regulators to specialize regulation where the market was specialized. And so today, you know, without overstepping here, my commentary into what the CSA does, but I think we can say very safely that the British Columbia and the Alberta Securities Commissions do have a lead in Canada when it comes to the regulation of the venture markets, and they have the expertise and they have the understanding, and they certainly are doing a great job in that regard. The Ontario Securities Commission does a great job at regulating the senior capital markets formation in Canada and its oversight of the TSX. And of course, finally, 
The AMF in Montreal, the Autorité de Marché Financier, its regulation of the derivatives business, in as much as they all share a responsibility in those respective markets. But it's been interesting to see how the expertise has grown. And that's, that's a good story, in my view. Of course, I think the activities of the TMX continue to strongly encourage to see this sharing of authority and regulation between the provinces to allow the capital markets, whatever they are, whether they're derivatives, venture, senior equities, bond market, etc., continue to flourish and, and develop and be strong, especially when we have moments of market turbulence, like the experience, for instance, in 2008. Canada came out very strong through that period. And I think it largely rests on the fact that we have developed over the years, along with, of course, a very strong banking system, but we've developed also a regulatory structure which has been able to conduct the affairs of our capital markets in a very orderly manner. And while it's not ideal, and others have unquestionably different opinions about this, but this was created in the context of what Canada is, which is essentially a federation. And when you look at how it works... It's very in keeping with the philosophy of a federation, and I think that's a great achievement. It's a good answer, and it's a really interesting parallel in the specialization story between, okay, it's not just exchanges and their roles in their regions, but it's also the acuity of the regulatory regime in each of those regional areas to support that growth and success. I want to stress, though, it's not taking away the responsibilities of each of those regulators of the activity regulated by another securities commission. But unquestionably, I think we've been able to draw the strongest features out of those different regulatory bodies to allow those businesses to really flourish. Right. And I think that's an interesting point as well in terms of specialization as a core component of resiliency. Right. And so enabling continued resiliency and certainly Canada's markets have been as resilient as any markets in the world. When you're talking about the banking industry, the capital markets, et cetera. Uh, unquestionably, Canada, I think amongst its peers, but, you know, broadly around the world is perceived as being a country with a solid capital markets infrastructure. And that's not just the marketplace, but it's the regulatory framework as well. Okay. Fast forwarding at a slower rate, <laughs> um, as the uh, I want to talk a little bit about the exchange landscape globally. So we've described very well, you've described Canada's landscape as we turned the century and faced um, really even your discussion talking about going from bringing over-the-counter market onto market. So that's a theme that was happening. We closed our market at Toronto Stock Exchange in 97, our floor, and went fully electronic. This was happening all over the world. It happened in Montreal. It was happening elsewhere. So as the 21st century arrived, every industry and pretty much the way the entire world worked and lived, driven by technology, was starting to evolve at a really fast rate. And markets were rapidly globalizing, transforming from member-owned regional utilities into competitive for-profit entities. Toronto Stock Exchange and Montreal Exchange separately made the move to become public companies. Can you take us through MX's decision to go public? Montreal Exchange demutualized in September 2000, a few months after the TSX had done essentially the same thing. 
Admittedly, at the time, the Montreal Exchange was very small in relationship to the TSX or other markets, because at the same time, we were doing transformation as a result of the 1999 specialization agreement. We were transforming into a, a fully derivatives market with the clearing capacity, because part of the 99 realignment or specialization included the fact that CDCC, which does the clearing of exchange-traded derivatives products in Canada, became part of the ownership of the Montreal Exchange. So we demutualized in parallel the Montreal Exchange and CDCC to create one corporate entity or one umbrella that covered both organizations. And then we proceeded to run the company as if it was a public company. By that, what I mean is that we structured the governance and the financial reporting and all those other features that you find in a listed reporting issuer. And we ran the company from 2000 to 2007 on that basis, when we then decided in 2007 to simply list the shares on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So we, it was not a IPO or there was no capital raised. It was simply a straightforward listing of shares. There were a lot of shareholders at the time. A lot of them were former seat holders that had seen their seats converted into shares of the MX. And there had been a gray market that had developed around those shares as well over time. So the idea was then, because the MX did not need capital, we simply listed the shares. It doesn't happen very often where you have a company that simply decides to list shares. But in our case, it worked. And it was a very successful listing. And that essentially is the process by which the Montreal Exchange became not only a public company, but a listed public company. It's interesting. You know, staying on the topic of MX's journey, it was not too long after becoming a publicly traded company that the combination of MX and TSX Group at that time came together again with Mr. Luke Bertrand at the table. So maybe if you could take us through a little bit about how TMX came to be. Well, it was a process, and like all processes, you know, there's moments where you think you have an arrangement and then you don't and so on and so forth. But ultimately, at the time, Richard Nesbitt was the CEO of the TSX group, and Richard and I finally came to an arrangement in, I think it was December 2007, if my memory serves me. And essentially, that was the basis of what became TMX. Now, must open a parenthesis here. The TSX had made an assembly arrangement with CDNX some years before to create TSX Venture. So essentially, the vision was that under the TMX umbrella, we could have a very strong group of companies servicing different parts of the capital markets. And that essentially was the fundamentals, if you wish, of why combining these companies together made a lot of sense for Canada. And I think that rationale still holds today even more so. As discussed earlier, you know, you as much as anyone understands the regionalities at play in, in Canada's markets and, you know, including the regulatory environment. I just want to follow up on this theme of this national powerhouse, right? This idea of serving this constituency across the country and taking into consideration all of these regional aspects of what makes Canada's markets so great, so diverse, 
and so powerful ultimately. So it's a theme that comes up in the next deal, which was a few years later, and that's the Maple Deal, what came to be known as the Maple Transaction. In the early 2010s, consolidation swept across the global exchange space. ICE acquired a New York Stock Exchange. Singapore made a bid for ASX in Australia. And a few other proposed super exchange combinations sort of came and went. In February 2011, TMX and the London Stock Exchange announced a merger. And in response to the proposed deal, a competing bid to acquire TMX came in from a newly formed consortium of major Canadian banks and pension funds called the Maple Group. You played a major role in what would become known as the Maple Transaction. You were the spokesperson for the group. And as I understand it, presented the deal in person to TMX. Ultimately, this bid to keep Canada's premier market operator independent and Canadian was successful and shaped the TMX we know today. Can you walk me through how and why the Maple Consortium came together? There are many factors here, but foremost, I think we have to look at the dynamics of these factors. And I personally had a, a strong belief that because of the nature of this industry, which is, you know, it's a very regulated business. The exchange and the clearing businesses are regulated by various entities with reason because of the public interest factor and many other reasons. But the analysis that some of us were concluding at the time in the whirlwind of all these mergers between different exchange places, because of these regulatory requirements, in many cases, it was difficult to see the business rationale or the business logic of putting all these exchanges together because of the regulatory requirements that would be imposed on these transactions. And in fact, since then, we've seen a lot of these undo themselves or just simply have been dismantled because there was very little to no economic or business benefit in keeping those. But that was the observation at the time. Here's a UK-based exchange, very powerful house in the European theater with a very reputable name and eager to grow, which is perfectly legitimate. The LSC had bought the Italian stock exchange, Italian Borsa from um, Milan. And Euronex had, like you just said, and NICE had joined together. And Euronex is the combination of a multiple group of different exchanges throughout continental Europe. And the arguments were always the same, you know, technology, synergies, the usual, you know, discourse that you will hear around these transactions. The conclusion that some of us had is that transatlantic combinations are going to be really, really hard to put together. And whether they can generate the synergies and, and the economies of scales and so forth that you're talking about because they'll be operating in different time zones, but specifically because they'll be operating under different regulatory regimes, is a very difficult one to get our heads around. Admittedly, the second point is that if there was an industrial logic to keep the TMX in Canadian hands or in hands that respected the then existing requirement that nobody could control more than 10% of the TMX, and this rule still stands today. There's a rationale to that, you know, it's not just a number that was picked out of thin air, but why can't nobody own more than 10% of the TMX? I felt quite strongly about that point. I felt that, yeah, this business 
if someone wants to buy 10% of this business, sure, but don't think you should control it. It should be broad-based. So in going through the mechanics and doing the analysis, crunching the numbers, great. We were able to say that TMX could continue on with that 10% max rule and essentially continue headquartered here in Toronto with its operations in Montreal, Vancouver. And we can stick to the raison d'être, the fundamentals of what this business does, which is essentially make sure that we continue to do a lot of capital formation in the venture market like we had been doing for decades now, for as far back as the original Vancouver and the Alberta Stock Exchanges, continue doing the same capital formation activity with the Toronto Stock Exchange. And then, of course, Montreal continued developing its derivatives markets in Canadian products for both international and Canadian users. And also service, because we went a step further. We said, well, not only should we consider buying through the Maple Group, the TMX, but there was Alpha, which was a competitor at the time, and CDS, which was a mutual clearinghouse, which is still called CDS, but it was purchased in the process of this Maple transaction. And that would broaden the services offered by the TMX to include the clearing of all cash products, both exchange-traded and over-the-counter in the country. So under the same corporate umbrella, and there are other examples of this, like Singapore and Hong Kong and Australia and Germany to a lesser extent, but give or take the same parallels or same similarities. We weren't rewriting a story here. I mean, we were actually ripping a page out of someone else's book, but in jurisdictions that are a bit similar to ours, because this model would not work in the U.S., by the way, because of the way they are structured with the CFTC and the SEC and and how their exchanges have developed with their own clearing corporations and so forth. But this model would work in Canada and would be very strong in the sense of being capable of providing all these services, like I said, clearing and trading, both for exchange-traded and over-the-counter of different asset classes. And that was a compelling business model. And that made industrial logic for us. And we were able to model that to convince ourselves that this model would be good for many, many years to come and create and service for the Canadian capital markets a very deep and well-structured and strong organization as we know it today. So admittedly, it also answered the fact that TMX would continue as it had, meaning that here it is in Canada, its oversight by the regulators would essentially continue the way it had the Oversight Act function over the years. I think, again, for the regulatory side of things, and not just for the securities regulators in Canada, but for the other regulatory authorities in this country, this is good. This is not a bad thing, especially if you have a crisis, a capital markets crisis of some sort, whether it's international or domestic or whatever, My perception is that, and hopefully it'll never be tested, but is that you want to make sure that the market activity and the regulatory activity are well in sync. And I truly believe that for that purpose, 
and for the sophistication of the Canadian capital markets, a broadened TMX group with a more sophisticated regulatory environment as we have known it to become was the right thing for the Canadian capital markets. Right. That's an interesting answer. There's a lot to unpack there. It was very well stated because I think the evidence since the Maple transaction and the formation of largely what we know as TMX, and certainly we've evolved since then over the last 10 years, the company's grown substantially, both organically and by acquisition. And I think what's been proven over time is that a strong Canada is a competitive advantage for TMX Group going forward, but it's also that economic engine for Canada's growth, right? So Absolutely. we have a proven track record of success there and driving economic growth again across the country in each of these regionalities. And I think that that's proof positive of this sort of stronger together. I agree. So as I mentioned, you know, the world has changed in almost every conceivable way since the turn of the century, but so much has happened within the last 20 years here in Canada and in terms of 25 years, I guess, if you go back to basically the closing of the trading floors and the culture change in the equities and derivatives industry. It's very much evolved into a technology-paced evolution and something where it becomes a little bit more tangential in terms of what the future holds, right? So how do you see TMX Group continuing to evolve? And in your new role as chair, is there a five or 10 years out sort of forecast or way that you perceive the company evolving to continue to serve the needs of investors here in Canada and companies here in Canada, but also moreover and increasingly around the world, right? So serving all of our stakeholders across the world and, and ultimately growing our impact and profile internationally. It's an interesting question, Shane, especially looking forward. And uh, for me personally, beginning this uh, new mandate as chair of the board, I think there are two parts to the answer. The first one is it's the fundamentals and the roots of the company. Our foremost responsibility is to continue to provide these very specific services in trading and clearing and capital formation, risk management, and to offer those services in keeping, of course, with all the regulatory requirements, in keeping with us fulfilling our responsibilities as a self-regulatory organization, because you know many people understandably don't appreciate the fact that we are a self-regulatory organization of reporting issuers. And that's a very important and huge responsibility on a daily basis for the TMX. And we also the regulator of our derivatives market. And we don't take those responsibilities lightly because they are they are critical in relationship to what we provide the capital markets, and also our relationship with the regulators. So that first part to me is five, 10 years out. How have we delivered on, on those responsibilities? And not only five, 10, but we can go even beyond that, right. of course. You know, how have we performed? Have we lived up to the expectations? Have we lived up to our responsibilities as our part of delivering those functions to the capital markets. And I'll even go further. The responsibility of capital formation, whether it be the junior market or the senior markets, to me is so critical and it ebbs and flows and that's par for the course. But to make sure that our equity markets in this country 
and our bond markets as well, because we are quite involved in the trading of fixed income securities and the clearing of all these securities, both equities and bonds, that our technology is at par, that international investors don't even hesitate to come to Canada because they know that there's this infrastructure in place that is state-of-the-art and of the highest standard, the highest IOSCO standards, which is the international organization responsible for securities commissions. And to me, if we fail at that, then I would be quite <laughs> disappointed. And so that is not an option for us. And we're going to deliver on that. And that's our commitment to investors and to the capital markets at large and to regulators in particular. The second part of that question, of course, and the second thing that, of course, is foremost in our minds is that our stakeholders are shareholders also. So we stakeholders in terms of uh, those who use our services and so forth, and, but the shareholders do expect from any investment that they make, for that matter, that there be some kind of return over time. And for that, you need to grow and you need to be able to manage your affairs in a, in a manner that is going to generate income. And that means you will be looking at acquisitions. You will be constantly trying to broaden your footprint. And a good example of that is our acquisition of Trayport. Four years ago, five years ago, which is a company based in the United Kingdom. And it was a big acquisition for the TMX at the time. And it turned out to be an excellent acquisition. It's a business that is primarily involved in the trading of hydrocarbons. And I think that's an example of what we could potentially continue to do going forward. And in order to maintain a level of growth and seeing the profitability of the company continue at the pace that it has experienced in the last number of years since Maple. And I think we can achieve that. We have the wherewithal, we have the depth of management, we have a very strong governance structure to be able to deliver on those two fronts. And I'm quite optimistic, of course, <laughs> uh, because there is this depth to be able to carry out this dual mandate. It's a good answer. I think we're almost about out of time. And, you know, this might be chapter one, Luke. I may, uh, I may, I may pull you in for, for another follow-up uh, uh, down the road, but a I pleasure. really thank you for doing this. I think just on behalf of TMX employees, if I can wear that hat for a second, your, your leadership experience and not only in years, because I, I don't want to date you, although you did that at the outset of our conversation, but uh, it's less about years served in the industry, but really the number and the magnitude of successes that you've played a key leadership role in are very impressive and speaks to you know the conviction in your voice and in, in talking through some of these topics. It's really inspiring, and I'm sure that your leadership acumen will, will be a huge asset, continue to be a huge asset to TMX for the benefit of all of our stakeholders and ultimately people across the country. Canada's markets matter, and I feel like we're in good hands and we're on the right track. So thanks for doing this. Thank you very much, Shane. Appreciate it. All right. So for more insights from capital markets leaders and subject matter experts, please visit tmx.com slash POV. Have a great day.